Hello and welcome to Motopod, the internet radio show all about motorcycle road racing. This is episode number 731. As referenced, Rich and I are together on May 30th, 2023. Rich, how are you doing in the UK? Are you recovered? I'm recovered. It's, it was Memorial Day, so Bank Holiday Monday here in the States. Yes, same here. Yeah, we had, um, I'm never quite sure. It's either, I think it was what we call Spring Bank Holiday in the uk so yeah national holiday so very nice and sunny weather in the uk for change so yeah that makes a um, pleasant surprise that was yesterday hot and sunny yeah it has gotten warm here as well uh lots of barbecuing and grilling and all that good stuff happening and uh, a lot of good racing on tv for those of you who follow motorsport as far as like auto racing if you were like me sunday was a great day because you started it in monaco with the formula one race which had a little bit of chaos in it mm-hmm. you then went to the indianapolis 500 that afternoon and if you want to stay up late you could have watched the nascar race i did two of the three i could not do all three of them <laughs> but uh it's always a great weekend here in the u.s it's the unofficial start of summer here in the u.s uh it's always like everybody says associates memorial day weekend with summer kids are out of school it is summertime but summer doesn't really start until the 21st of june officially and then doesn't end until September 21st. So yep. that's enough scientific stuff and holidays. Let's talk about what we're really here for is the show. Just want to say thank you to all the listeners and donators of the show. Very much appreciate it. If you'd like to help out with the show, help us to get some of the interviews we got like we've got going on here. Uh, you can do that by becoming a subscriber and paying, uh, handing a little, throwing a little money in with our, going to our website, www.motopodcast.com. There's a link to Patreon and PayPal, and we can donate there. If you just leave a review for us from your favorite podcast player, that'd be great too. That way people could find us because we'll go back up in the top of that algorithm. And I think with that, Rich, we're just going to just hop right in here with just, I'm going to call it rumors. I'm not going to really call it news because it's just these persistent rumors that are continually going around. I thought we'd at least throw them down and tell everybody what we think about it. So the, the first rumor here is, and this is not going to go away anytime soon. And that is that Mark Marquez will either retire or he's going to go someplace else and literally buy out his contract on his own to race for somebody else in 2024 in MotoGP. Rich, what do you think of that rumor? Well, first of all, it was vehemently denied by Pitt Byra, which you might say the man protested a bit too loudly on that one. So, I mean, it's impossible not to think that there's at least discussions going on in the background. But I'm really conflicted on this one, Jim, because on the one hand, we've seen Marquez and heard him more particularly being very critical of Honda over the last, what, nine months, particularly over the season when we had the Valencia test. He wasn't happy there. But, you know, they brought this new Calix chassis. I know he crashed out of the race in Le Mans, but he's running at the front. So does that kind of placate him a little bit and show him signs that Honda are changing? Which, to be fair to Honda, they most definitely are. Because, you know, if they're going with Calix chassis, Calix swinging arm, who else knows what else they've got going on under the covers? So they are doing things differently and responding to his criticisms or requests, whichever way you want to couch it. So it's a little bit hard to know which side the coin's going to fall on really but yeah the ktm rumor doesn't seem to go away and it did pick up a bit of pace in the last few weeks didn't it so it's a little bit hard to judge yeah i think one we get this rumor because it's a three-week break right we're trying to generate news we're trying to generate clicks yes this is a story that is out there that we know is going to generate clicks people are going to look people are going to want to know what's going on is he isn't he that sort of thing my personal take is i don't think ktm is ready for mark marquez they're very close, very, very close, but they're not there. So if you gave them one more year, 2024, to sort of suss the rest of everything out, perhaps maybe bring in that 
Husqvarna bike that you and I keep thinking is going to happen. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. You know, people are drawing a logical line. Marquez has had a lot of support from Red Bull over the years. It's a natural fit for him to go to the KTM. I think if he shows up, it's going to be on a Husqvarna branded bike. Take that for what it's worth. It's my own personal opinion. If he does show up, I think it won't be until 2025. I think Mark has seen that Honda is willing to do things differently to some small extent. Them, you know, we found out from Alberto Puge that they had been working with Kalex for a while. Now, does a while mean since they got to the test at Sipang and Mark basically said this bike is junk and you've been working since, you know, February to produce a chassis for both him and Mir to race at Le Mans? Is that a long time? I don't know. Were they looking? Were they talking to them earlier than this? Don't know. But regardless, it is the truth, and a lot of people are saying this. I've said it before. I'll say it again. A MotoGP bike isn't just, oh, build a chassis with a motor and give it some good grip. It is now a wholly functioning su- system that has a vast amount of subsystems that almost work in dynamic and physical harmony to produce a motorcycle that's capable of winning at the front. That means you have to have the aerodynamics integrated into it from the very beginning with all the ride height gizmos integrated from the very beginning into one package that then works in harmony with a rider to go very fast. Is Honda there yet? No. Is Mark Marquez thinking that it's better? Well, given from what he wrote at Le Mans, you got to say that they're close. I don't think anybody can go through and have I will call it very little setup time on that chassis and get as close as they did, which I think was somewhat impressive. That being said, there's still a lot more setup work that they need to go through and maybe they'll find some more at Magello. You know, maybe they find a little bit more to make it better. Where the telltale is, is what does Juan Mir do? Because he's expressed that he is afraid that he will become what Lorenzo, what uh, Pole became in a couple of years. He will be that same thing where he just cannot ride that motorcycle at all. It's very scary to me to think that Mir doesn't even really know or understand how to make the Kalex chassis work. So, I mean, where's he going to go? Is he going to be a refugee on the Husqvarna MotoGP bike? You take your pick. I don't know. I mean, Jaron Mir's gone from a bike that was kind of well sorted in that adaptation of the different ecosystems that you were talking about Jim, in terms of the motor, mm-hmm. the chassis, the electronics, the aerodynamics, you know, the Suzuki, maybe B, it wasn't the best bike on the grid towards the end of the last year, but it was pretty damn close and it was winning races. Okay, not in Joanne Mir's hands, in Alex Rins, it's true. So I don't know. I mean, we're deep, deep into crystal ball territory here, aren't we, on a number oh, yeah. of fronts. Alex Rins, Joanne Mir, maybe they're waiting for the Honda to turn into more of a Suzuki with Ken Kawachi technically leading that team now. Mark Marquez doing what Mark Marquez always does and just taking it to 11 tenths to try and get it to the front. And he was pretty damn close in the mob, but he was crashing a lot, which is always a problem for Mark. So I don't know. I'm really conflicted on this whole thing about what Marquez does. Does he buy himself out of the contract? I kind of struggle to see him doing that. And the longer he leaves it, you know, the older he gets, the more chances he has of another crash, which might injure him again. But Mark Marquez on a KTM is kind of like the... I kind of think of it a little bit like when Schumacher went to Mercedes. Now, it's not quite the same because Mark hasn't retired or had a period off doing something else. He's been injured. But it does rather smack of the master going for one last shot and creating a big kind of marketing man's or woman's dream, doesn't it? You know, Marquez to KTM, Red Bull, 
Muscovite, you know, whatever the connotation might be, it is a mouth-watering prospect. But the thing that I can't help but ask myself constantly is what would Marquez be doing on the KTM as it is now? I mean, that is a good bike. And I'm not suggesting for one second that Jack Miller or and certainly not Brad Binder aren't pushing it to the max because they are. But Marquez, we know, is a stellar once-in-a-generation talent. So what would he be doing on the bike? It's a little bit like what would Alonso be doing in the Red Bull now for the Formula One fans that are listening as well. You know, you, it's that kind of imponderable thing because in a parallel universe, somebody's getting to find out. Unfortunately, we're stuck in this one and we just don't know. But yeah, what do you think, Jim? Would he win on the KTM at the minute? Yeah, it's sprint race at the very least, right? Because Bender's done it. Yeah. You got to think that the long to run tire wear problem isn't there. And whether that's a, a swing arm issue, a pivot issue with the swing arm, it's or it's electronics. Take your pick. I, it could be any of all or a combination of or whatever it is. But I, I think Marquez, I think he'd win. I really do. I mean, I think he'd be on a push bike and he'd win. Crime and sex alive. I mean, it's just I've never really seen anybody in my lifetime of watching motorcycle racing to just ride to 11 and 12 tenths just continuously Mm. race after race after race after race and win and keep doing it and it's kind of caught up to him because everybody else is riding at 10 tenths and so he's trying to ride at 13 14 tenths and he's not able to do it but yeah no i agree i mean he's the you know the really really great ones and you can count them on well probably one hand say two hands are the ones that transcend the machinery that they're on you know i'm thinking like senna when mclaren weren't doing so well mm. and he was winning races that he shouldn't have won you know you can pick pick your category and you'll always be able to find a person that just they made the difference and you know I, and I, I say this as a not massive sort of rabid mark marquez fan there are aspects of that whole thing historically that i'm just not in that camp you know i'm not a rabid rossi fan i'm not really a rabid anybody fan i suppose really but you have to give credit where credit is due. And Marquez, well, the record speaks for itself. Yeah, he's had arguably at times of his career the best bike. But these things don't happen just by chance. And, you know, you really get to see the good ones when they're battling inferior machinery or battling adversity of some description, in his case, let's say injuries. And I don't for one moment think he's back to full fitness even now. I don't know about you, Jim, but, hmm. you know, his motivation to succeed and his desire and will to win is second to none. And compare that with poor old Fabio, who's suddenly found himself in the situation where he just can't make that. You know, he's a stellar talent too, but he's just hit a brick wall now with that bike. So there's all sorts of connotations as to who goes where. I mean, that's perhaps the discussion for another time. But the Marquez to KTM thing, I think, will still kick around for a little while until it becomes absolutely clear from one side or the other, despite Pitbara's protestations. But I'm not 100% convinced. I don't think it will happen, but, you know, it's interesting to keep listening and watching what's going on i'll say this about pit byra he would he would cut anybody's throat except for maybe benders to win a world title now take it for what it's worth do you want to have that person that aura that is around mark marquez in your garage when pedro acosta is just over here and just out of sight Uh, and i i think not everybody's going to say this but I, i think we all agree pedro acosta is a talent is he Quattro level, is he Marquez level, is he Rossi level? We, we we don't know that yet. We've not seen him on that bike. Mm. But you gotta think that if you're Pit Byra, you're like, well, I don't why do I need the drama that's gonna come on from this over here when I have something over here that I'm grooming and taking care of and I want to show him that I have everything that I that he needs to be successful. It's all going to play into it. 
We just don't know where it's going to fall out. It's a story to be watched. It's kind of why we keep giving the whole tongue-in-cheek Husqvarna thing, because, you know, who knows if that would happen. But from KTM's point of view, it would bring a, a sub-brand into the mix on two grid slots that are empty and which Dorna are probably desperate to have filled up. And can you just imagine the sort of the marketing coup that would be Marquez and Acosta, you know, the master and the pupil mm-hmm. in the same team, backed by, you know, the behemoth that is now KTM. And let's be honest, I mean, KTM are right up there now. Uh, I mean, it's, it's mouthwatering, isn't it? Do I think it will happen? Probably not. I mean, we're speculating beyond belief here, but these are the things that dreams are made of, really. And mm. I, for one, would love to see that. I really, really would. Yep. Well, let's talk about some more clickbait and rumors that will not cease <laughs> and that's the fact that yamaha is going to build a v4 um, me personally i'll start this one off rich i no, mm, not happening not yet <laughs> what i would love to see them do i know it's banned everybody but still i would love to see this take the middle two cylinders and make them one oval piston so that you could shorten their stroke up even more and then you know have higher revs right and then that would let you compact you would narrow the bike up even more right but you could potentially then rev it higher I know you, you you can't do an oval piston. It's been banned. It's it's not allowed. I, I understand. But it would be interesting to see. I just can't imagine Yamaha doing it. They're not a V-twin company. They you know They're an inline four cross-plane crank kind of thing. But maybe the cross-plane crank needs to go. Maybe that is what the problem is. Because by having the cross-plane crank, you're going to have a different set of vibrations, which means you've got a different sized balance shaft that has to be in there that's obviously a frictional point somewhere right or they're going to have to redesign the crank in some way to take a journal out maybe to get rid of one more frictional bearing that you need to get rid of something of that nature but building a v4 they've never really done it i know yamaha has made twins in the past i i get that too but a high performance v4 like what we're talking about takes a while to build and if you don't believe me, go ask Pet Buyer because he'll tell you it takes you a while because that man said, hey, we we're gunning for Honda and here we come and we're going to take you down. That was what, six years ago that that was said? Something close to that, right? Yeah, there's no quick path. Right. And there's no direct path to it. There's no shortcuts anymore, people. And I'm still curious what happened to the motor that they had at Mazzano. I really want to know. I mean, Quattro I thought that thing was absolutely amazing and it's gone and I don't know where it went. Quite honestly, I don't think Yamaha knows where it went. So what what happened? There's something something there that we're not we don't know, and no one's talking. And I think that's the bigger talking point. I suspect everybody else just made similar or bigger gains than Yamaha did, and so relatively they find themselves behind. And you know, it's every time you get on your motorbike after the winter off, you think. And I'm talking personally here on my sort of <laughs> my old SV thousand, which is uh, pretty slow by most standards, but I get on the thing, and think, damn, this thing's quick, and then by a month later, I'm thinking I need something quicker. And it's always the same, isn't it? I don't think power is the problem for Yamaha. I just think it's the package is the problem for Yamaha. It'll be interesting to see, mm. and obviously we don't know, but we've got Mugello not this weekend, but the following weekend. So let's say roughly two weeks from when we're recording this. It will be interesting to take note of the top speed traps because Mugello. I'm going to say probably is the longest straight on the calendar or near as damn it, the longest straight of somebody else, maybe Kota. Uh, back yeah. Straight. Cause they, they, somebody went over 220. Yeah. It's, and it probably this year will be over 222 or 224. The difference w- with Mugello, Jim, is that unlike Kota, the 
corner coming on to the fast straight is much quicker at Mugello. Oh, yes. And yes. I think we've said before, and I don't think it, this is going out on a limb to say that the Yamaha's kind of key weakness is getting up to terminal velocity. I think terminal velocity itself is probably not too bad. So it will be interesting to see what the speed trap says at Mugello in terms That's of raw power point. and top speed. So I think it's a uh, broken record time again. A lot of nuance around this. You know, how quickly does it get up to speed? How good does the shapeshifter work? How quickly does it slow down with the aero? Blah, blah, blah. Lots of different factors that are conspiring to make the Yamaha as a package not quite work correctly. Will they build a V4? I don't think they will because A, it's not in their DNA. And secondly, with a big engine or big technical rules change coming up in 20... No, is it 26 or 27? I can't remember off the top of my head, but it's a few years away. 25 is biofuel, so they're talking about having a huge cut in horsepower at that point. I think, well, that is part and parcel of a rules package, which we haven't actually heard about yet. But I think there will be changes to the regs, which are likely to have, at least in part, some effect on engine configurations, cost, number of engines, but, you know, all of the usual stuff. That would be the natural point at which Yamaha, if they were going to make a radical change, would do it. Now, that's not to say they're not testing a V4 on a bench somewhere in Hamamatsu now, or no, not Hamamatsu, where, where are Yamaha based? Oh, that was Suzuki, wasn't it? Uh. Where, wherever they are, forgive my poor Japanese geography knowledge and so on, but they might be testing all sorts of different configurations as the rules currently would allow. But uh, yeah, I'm not convinced that they'll go down that road. And I'm not necessarily subscribed to this view that the inline four has had completely had its day because look at Suzuki last year again that was a well-sorted package and it was winning races against Ducati against Aprilia and all the others so I think there's life in the old dog yet but Yamaha I just think for one reason or another and I mean I'm kind of reticent to say it but I think it's it's a stale structure that team in terms of the management of it you know a lot of people have been around for a long 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 time and I just wonder whether or not they've just fallen so far behind and they just need sort of root and branch change, really, in sort of all different sorts of areas of that team. Their big problem going forward now, and we're going to come on to this in a minute, is that they're now losing talent left, right and centre. And I can't envisage that Quattararo will be there beyond the end of his contract. So they've got all sorts of problems in all sorts of different areas at the minute. And it's a long road back to success at the moment, as things stand. Unless, you know, you never know, something might revolutionary might come out. But that generally tends not to happen. So it's going to be a yeah a, a tricky few years, I think, for Yamaha. Yeah. Well, for those of you yelling at the radio right now to tell Rich where Yamaha is from, Come on. it's from Awata. Awata, of course it is. Thank you. Yes. I was Hamamatsu is Suzuki. So yeah. Correct. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know what I don't know what they're going to do. Again, I think Lynn Jarvis needs to go. He's been there since like the '90s or something. I think Lynn Jarvis needs to go. I think the whole the whole band has gotten stale. Or they need to bring fresh engineering in. And if they're going to bring that guy who's done Formula One engines in and he's not producing, then you got to go somewhere else. You know, again, they're sort of by by design without doing something really radical inside. They're kind of stuck at they can't go to, you know, by rules, you're not allowed to have, say, air or pneumatic valves trains. I believe that's right. I think we're back on springs again as a way to take costs down. I think they got rid of that. You can't just spend money like in a sort of sure. arms race of spending to come up with something no, no, no. completely like a six cylinder or, or some wacky thing. I mean, obviously right. that's mandated in the rules. Yeah, by rule. Yeah, well, that's to stop Honda because, you know, by now they'd have a six cylinder something and yeah. it would be crazy fast. But again, 
it's going to take something different, like, you know, somehow figuring out a way to take a, a crank journal out, a, main, a couple of main bearings out, some something, and still maintain the rigidity to, that you can either lighten it somehow. Again, exotic materials are going to be out because it just the cost. Um, they're kind of hooked into this, and I don't know if they've, they've got any, what they're going to be able to do. I mean, you think about it, Ducati has sort of a built-in advantage. They can keep revving it because they're going to mechanically open, mechanically close the valves. They don't really care. So, you know, are you now seeing yet again, you know, you saw that in World Superbike. That was the thing. The Ducatis could rev a twin a lot farther than anybody else who had a twin. But that gave them advantage over 750s. And, well, then we went to, the, we gave the 750s a 1,000cc limit. And then Ducati complained. And then it goes back and forth, right? So it's going to take something. I mean, there's nothing that says that Yamaha cannot put their own Desmodronic system in there. Maybe they could turn it a few more thousand RPM. I don't know. I mean, I'm wondering if there's even a rev limit. I th- maybe there is. Maybe you're limited to 14,000. I don't know, but I think it is limited. I don't know where that is, okay? Because I know they're allowed 82, 82 millimeter bore. And if you figure out a thousand cc's are there, you can figure out how far you are with your stroke. And if you shorten that stroke, you're losing displacement, which they're not going to want, but you could rev it higher. So essentially there's, there's a limit of the force that the piston can take to stop and accelerate back the other direction and come back again. And... That's sort of why the NR750 Honda had three 36 millimeter rod <laughs> because it was, the forces inside dictated. I used to know the formula for all that, but I don't off the top of my head anymore. And don't forget, Jim, I mean, one of the, well, probably the major limiting factor now with regards to engines and hard components, let's say, is the mandated requirement of the life of the engine. You know, they've only got so many engines. So, you know, the old days where you could have a qualifying Check engine. another one in there, yeah. Those days are well and truly gone. So I suppose it might, and I don't know, I mean, you'll be able to tell me uh, and the listeners better than I can explain, but whether a V4 is a slightly more manageable power delivery in terms of stresses, I don't know. If you keep pushing an inline four, I know it's the cross-plane crank, so it mimics a V configuration. I, I don't know how far you can push that configuration in terms of tolerances and rev limits before you start running into life cycle difficulties and stuff. Who knows? Because we're talking like, top end engineering in all of these engines and sure. all of these firms now i'm sure somebody much cleverer than i once said something along the lines of with regards to motorsport that making power is not the problem it's managing power is the issue and how you put it down is the problem and there you're into this whole cacophony of chassis aero electronics you know we said before Portimao this year, KTM were busy rewriting engine maps and codes and this, that, and the other in the software systems. And suddenly overnight, they transformed the bikes before. Well, that was what we speculated had happened. Maybe they were sandbagging, who knows? But there's so many facets to all of this. And for me, Yamaha, and probably to a similar, maybe slightly lesser extent, Honda, Suzuki will never know, but they've just got left behind as things currently stand, not to say they won't and can't catch up, because I'm sure that they can, but with particular reference to Yamaha, you just don't see root and branch change going on, as we're seeing over at Honda at the moment, in terms of them swallowing their pride and starting to introduce new things in public at race weekends, because let's face it, they don't have private tests that they can really fall back on too much these days, not with their Grand Prix riders anyway. So that's what it's going to take, I think. And they seem to be a long way short of that as things stand. Yep. Quickly, I think it's interesting that well, a couple of things very quickly. Morbidelli can't ride that bike either. So it's sort of like Juan Mir against Mark Marquez and Honda. Yamaha have the same problem. Morbidelli cannot ride that motorcycle fast. Take it for what it's worth. I have no idea why. It's, it's just 
the other world of Quattro pushing a bike at 12 tenths and Morbidelli riding to 10 tenths. And it's not enough. Now, Michelin builds that new front tire. I don't know. Maybe all bets are off. We don't know. The other thing is, too, is where I'm concerned, one for Honda, two for Yamaha, but for slightly different reasons. One is that KTM never really became good until Pedrosa started testing it. He's their mule rider, right? He's the guy who's doing all the mule work. And look where they are now after roughly four seasons of Pedrosa giving them feedback. You've got Zarco, who I think is pretty well known in the paddock to be the test rider for DG Delini and all of his crazy ideas. Zarco gets it first or at least practices with it, decides whether it's good enough, then it shows up on a factory bike. So there's really good continuity and feedback there. It doesn't seem as though Honda has that. I'm sorry, Stefan Brattle is a fine rider. He's way better than I will ever be. I could never beat Stefan Brattle on my best day. But is Stefan Brattle relative to what Honda need? I'm not sure. Obviously, Mark Marquez believes in what he says because he jumped on that Kalex chassis at Le Mans, threw a few settings on it to suit him, and is you know on the front row and is riding at the front, although be it again at 13 tenths. And Yamaha is the same way, but the Yamaha has Cal Crutchlow. So uh, Honda used to talk about how Crutchlow was so good for them. Marquez even admitted that Crutchlow was good. So it's like, ah, why are you guys missing here? So I don't know. Again, if we're going to talk about the talent on the bikes, let's talk about the biggest bombshell, I think, in years, in my mind, as far as it is the fact that in a shock move, top rack, world superbike, defending world superbike champion? No, Bautista's defending superbike champion, right? Yeah. So, but, but a former world superbike champion. Decided he's just leaving Yamaha. Like, sayonara. I'm out, guys. Bye. Hey, thanks for the couple rides on your on your M1 MotoGP bike, but eh, I'm not gonna take it. And oh, by the way, I'm not even. I don't even like your super bike enough to stay. And I'm gonna go ride for BMW next year, which is whoa. I mean, if you saw that coming, you oh, wow. Can you loan me some numbers for, for the lottery here? Because wow. I would have never in a million years, I would have said, yeah, he's going to stay on that pad of Yamaha and would keep going. But nope, he's decided he wants the BMW. If your belief was, and I, I'm afraid I think this is Yamaha's internal belief, was that, you know, hey, Morbidelli is not good enough for our bike. Look at where Quattraro is riding it. So therefore, it's not the bike. It is the guy riding the bike. Oh, and hey, look over here. In this other world championship series, this is really good guy on our bike. And look how fast it is. If we just put him on that bike, he'll be just like Quattraro. I, I think that's Lynn Jarvis and their mentality. I, I really do. And now it's a bit him because I'm sorry, but what are you going to do now? Because I, is Quattraro's contract up at the end of this year? I know Morbidelli is done at the end of this year, but I think Quattraro's got one more year, right? So he's still got 24 to ride, I believe. Well, it's just a horror show from every degree of the 360 for Yamaha at the minute. They've got a bike which in MotoGP, which it seems to me they don't quite know where to go with it because I don't think they've got the people with the skills and the recent knowledge to kind of make those direction calls. Quattraro is obviously very unhappy. Morbidelli, I mean, who knows? He busted his knee up bad at Le Mans a couple of seasons ago, I think it was now, and has never really been the same rider since, and is, well, by all conventional wisdom, on borrowed time, although, as a number of people have commented recently, probably will get to stay put next year, because simply nobody else will want to get on the bike. And now, I mean, whether Top Rat was ever serious about going to MotoGP, or whether Yamaha MotoGP were ever serious about really bringing him in to the team, it's hard to judge. 
We know that Keenan Sofroglu, his manager, had a rather unhappy dalliance with the JP Paddock a number of years ago in terms of Moto2. was kind of holding out for a works ride. Top Racks had a couple of tests. He wasn't, you know, he didn't really set the world on fire. But then what can you expect? Because a MotoGP bike is not the same as a superbike. Tricky to unpick, really, but, you know, if somebody said to me, Top Rat's leaving in Kawasaki, I would have, uh, sorry, Yamaha, I would have immediately said he's going to Kawasaki or going back to Kawasaki. That would have been the obvious place for him to probably to go, given that that's where he first landed in terms of superbike duties. And Alex Lowe's, who's Johnny Ray's team, I think, uh, yeah, Johnny Ray's reconfirmed his contract to Kawasaki. He's not going anywhere. Bautista's staying at Ducati. Every other seat pretty much is open at the minute. So, uh, yeah, I would have seen Top Rack at Kawasaki. Him going to BMW, I don't know. I mean, I know you don't follow Superbike probably or World Superbike Jim quite as closely perhaps as I do, but, I mean, that one really caught me off guard. And I know I had a quick WhatsApp with Greg Haynes from Eurosport. He's been on the show a number of times and contributes a lot. He was kind of gobsmacked by it, I think, as well. Is it a paycheck kind of thing or a BMW making promises? I don't know. Uh, BMW, big corporate behemoth, bit like a Honda, talk the game, but resolutely stick to their guns in terms of the way they want to do things. They want to run this software. They want to run this hardware. You know, they've been very reluctant to concede ground in these areas. Scott Redding, what's this, year two on the BMW? Year one was okay. This year's been worse, which is not great. <laughs> you know, he's out of contract at the end of the year. Michael Vandermark on the other side of that garage, well, he's now long-term injured again but he's kind of more ingrained in the BMW system. So uh, it's really hard to judge what that team's going to look like next year. It might be complete change. It might be top racking somebody else. I mean, Michael Ruben Rinaldi could well be on his way out of Ducati. There's all sorts of connotations. I mean, it's just pure speculation, even more so than what we talk about with MotoGP at the moment. But for sure, that's either an inspired signing on both sides, you know, the top rack side and the BMW side, or it's a bit of a cynical money grab, which might do both parties more harm than good. Hard to say at the moment. I mean, Top Rack is brilliant. He was good on the Kawasaki. He's obviously been stellar on the Yamaha. But jump into a bike that's that far behind? Hmm. It's an odd move, to my mind. But if he wins on the thing consistently, never mind, take a championship. He'll look like an absolute hero. So, who knows? Yeah, uh, Quattro is signed through 24. So okay. him and Marquez are done with their teams at the end of 24. For me, I, I honestly, I thought if Top Rack was going to jump ship. I okay back to Kawasaki is a logical place. I thought maybe he might slide over to HRC. I think the Fireblades on the come right now, so you know, take take that for what it's worth. And they would have been flashing some dollar signs, no doubt. But yep. BMW spend big, but they've tended to spend big on riders and perhaps not look quite as inward as they might do in terms of changes and spending around changes. I mean, I don't know. I mean, one of the people I would dearly love to talk to. And I'll have a crack at it in July when the World Supers rock up at Donington, but that would be Sean Muir. So he's the guy, SMR Racing, that is the squad that runs the BMW works effort in World Superbike. You know, I'd love to know, well, he, he would obviously be in a position where he couldn't necessarily completely speak his mind, but it would be fascinating to get into his brain a little bit and really understand quite how much frustration there would be around what they think that they could do to change that bike versus what they're allowed to do by BMW corporate because we know that that's a lot of the teams we've said this many times before and I've definitely had this conversation with Greg you know it's like the 
the teams they sell bikes for the road or cars for the road but that really only supports the racing activities a bit like enzo ferrari that was the famous thing wasn't it he'd only sold road cars to fund racing them and a lot of the bike teams you kind of feel that's the deal whereas bmw and maybe you could say this a bit about a honda but less so it's kind of racing's a bolt on to everything else that they do there's a kind of like a, a sort of a fracture in the strategy almost in a way there they want a, everything to be sort of done down a sort of strategic corporate company line approach whereas to be successful you have to be much more kind of open to change and try this and try that so hmm, interesting move i mean yeah uh be interested to know what the listeners think about this one in terms of has he done the right thing Toprak? i'm not convinced but he is a great great rider i've not seen anything on the bmw so i'll stop going on in a minute i've not seen other people riding or close to riding the bmw in the way that makes you think all oh, top rack would be good on that bike you know you can see mm. what johnny ray's doing with the kawasaki and think you know put top rack on that thing and he'd be with his experience now he'd be really really good although the kawasaki's probably held back a little bit technically still compared to the ducati but the bmw is a bit of a leap at the minute well hero or zero take your pick it's it's only one or two ways it's going to actually work out yeah but there is racing to be talked about so i'm going to talk about moto america for everybody they were in Barber, a beautiful racetrack, Barber. If you ever have a chance to go, please go. It is phenomenal. It's worth a trip just for the museum, uh, let alone the fact that there's this great racing with trees and you can sit underneath them and everything. But the, the race had been moved from its autumn, late September uh, schedule to early in April, which is a change. I guess the IndyCars aren't coming there in April anymore, so they moved this to that point. So it was a bit of a change. Uh, according to Scott Bolton, who was there, who has interviews, which you will hear in this podcast, it was a good crowd, he said. So uh, I'm I'm glad to hear that. But let's talk about the first race of the weekend was on Saturday for the Superbikes. Uh, the race was reduced from its 20 laps to 16 because of the cold weather and the tearing that they were cold tearing they were experiencing with the Dunlop tires. Dunlop asked it to be shortened to 16 laps so that they could get some data on the tires and see what was going on. Well, with that being said, the man who had been on pole was one Mr. Jay Gagne. And basically, I think Jay Gagne owns Barber because he rode off from the first race. He rode off on everybody, was gone. Nobody was going to touch him in that first race. And literally, he wins by, it's only in the first, he only wins by two seconds, but he had slowed down significantly on that last lap. The race behind it was his teammate, Cam Peterson, who also seems to be a bit of a Barber specialist. He seems to go really well there. He would finish in second after a race-long battle with Matthew Skultz. Now, Matthew did fall off towards the end, and he was some five, five, five and a half seconds roughly behind Cameron Peterson when the race ended. But Skultz on a podium was also good. Now, Skultz has also won races here, but he did those in the rain. So, again, seems like the top three are sort of barber specialists, if you will, from there. Now, Cambobier got a very poor start in this first race was very far back, and it took him a long time of battling with P.J. Jacobson and Josh Heron to finally work his way into the fourth position. P.J. would be fifth, Josh Heron would be sixth, then Escalante, who would Heron, who basically that was where the race was. The race was Heron versus Escalante, and the first one, uh, Escalante being seventh. Then we had uh, Ashton Yates, Corey Alexander, and Hayden Gilman filling out the top ten. On Sunday, the temperatures went up. Dunlap looked at the tires, decided everything was going to be okay. So the full 20 laps were then ran. And again, it was like almost carbon copy. Jake Gagne got a great start. Cambobia got a bad start. Nobody saw Jake Gagne again at all. He was gone. 
But Cam Peterson, who was second to his teammate with a great start, first lap, first time through Charlotte's Web, the famous corner in Barber. Cam loses the front, throws it away, and that left Matthew Skoltz to be second in the race. Now, this time, Cam had a better race. He uh, he was able to finish on the podium in third. He dispatched the uh, the Ducati of Heron early on as at the start. You know, he had a better start so that he wasn't behind Heron. And then he was racing with Richie Escalante, but he did slowly pull away from him. Escalante has to work on preserving the tire with that uh, Suzuki Superbike so he can be there at the end. But he would finish fourth. P.J. Jacobson would then be fifth. Heron would be sixth. Corey Alexander seventh. Ashton Yates eighth. Tony Elias ninth. And then Hayden Gillum finishing in tenth. So that is a Barber recap for Superbike. The only other race that I want to talk about from Barber was the extended race with a tire change and mandatory pit stop that happened at Barber. So uh, over the winter, they decided they'd have, since they spend the time to have these super sport bikes running at Daytona, and everybody's got this kit to change tires very quickly. They said, hey, we're going to run two or three of these events where they're going to be a long race, and it's going to be held on a Saturday. So on that Saturday, they raced a 28-lap race with a mandatory pit stop that had to be made. And what was interesting was they had a time uh, limit. There was a certain amount of time that you had to be on pit road, and it was all up to you to calculate all that out and figure out how long you had to be stationary. It was basically just so that everybody just didn't panic and took their time and put the bike back together again as necessary. But what was interesting was that uh, Chavi Flores wound up winning the race again with the Warhorse Ducati. In fact, he's won all four Super Sport races this year. It was never in doubt that he was going to win it. What was interesting was the rain shower that came in on the track that caused the red flag as people were caught out on slick tires with rain, which necessitated several high sides and a lot of people going down in the, ooh, what is there, 14 turns, 13, 14 turns at Barber, so it's that next to last turn, um, which is a very complicated set of like three corners all in one that you loop together. And there was quite the crash activity there. Go check it out on the Moto America YouTube channel. They have plenty of replays of it that you can dissect it and see it for yourself. But after the red flag and the restart and the pit stops, it still didn't matter. Flores won the race going away. Uh, Stefano Mesa was second. Then Mazato was third. Fourth was Gilbert Hayes. Josh Hayes, who had picked the wrong tires to start on after the red flag restart, he went with wets. Track dried. It was better to be on slicks and putt through a couple of laps. So bad call by Josh there. And he's probably ruined that. He could have maybe ran with Flores, maybe, maybe not. But he would be Josh would be fifth after that. It's tough to change tires. Then Tyler Scott sixth, then Hobbs seventh, LaRoche eighth, and uh Jigavalov in ninth. Hopefully I got that right, Damien. So there's your there's the racing from Barber. And I think with that, Rich, we'll go to interviews from Scott Bolton. Well, let's just say that Scott. Very kindly getting a bit more involved with the show again, which I'm sure will be gratefully received by all the listeners, particularly the ones that have been around for a good few years. So, yeah, so following this, we'll have Stefano uh, Messer, then Scott talks with uh, Matthew Schultz, uh, Cam Bobier is back on again, having briefly appeared a couple uh, episodes ago. Long chat with uh, Chavi Flores, who has ridden just about every bike in every series you can possibly think of. I mean, that guy's got such a catalogue of, yeah, unbelievable. And then to finish up, Rocco Landers. So, yes, we'll cut to that now. We'll be back in probably about 20 minutes. This is Scott Bolton, Barber Motorsports Park for the Superbikes at Barber Moto America event, round two. Here in the Tyler Cycle Racing pits with Stefano Mesa. 
This is Sunday morning. Uh, the This was the first weekend that they did the extended super sport race, so there was just one race yesterday, and Stefano finished second in that race. Uh, Stefano, thanks for joining us on Motopod. Yeah, thank you for the invite. So, Stefano, just first briefly, um, I know a lot of our American listeners are familiar with you, but you have been a... Uh, I guess it's referred to in the dirt track racing communities as a bounty hunter. In a way, you, you go around, have been last few years a lot of club races, uh, collecting contingency monies, uh, doing quite well at it. Uh, but this year, uh, the Tyler Cycle Racing Team uh, gave you an opportunity to race uh, the full season on a, uh, a Super Sport uh, Ninja 600. And so you've had uh, two weekends, the first uh, weekend at Barber, I'm sorry, at Road Atlanta, and now this weekend. So how, what's your, what's your thoughts so far on the season? Uh, yeah, definitely how you mentioned. Uh, the f- last few years we've been bounty hunting on Kawasaki all over the place, uh, trying to find that prize money so we can keep in the sport and keep traveling all over the place, you know? Uh, so with that, mu- with that bounty hunt, I was doing a few Moto America events, the ones I was able to, to come up and come up with the money to show up for. And uh, we, were, we were being able to put some solid results being as a privateer last year, you know, and I think that kind of attracted some people and some interest, sparked some interest in me. And uh, this year, uh, the guys from Tyler Cycles offered me a, a ride, and uh, they were like, hey, can you put, if you can put it together, we'll, we'll, res- we'll support it. And I was like, well, I'm pretty sure I can put it together. <laughs> Just let me try and figure it out, you know. And so I got right to work and uh, called my guy Mike from KWS. Uh, he's, he's been building all my club bikes for quite some years now. And I asked him, hey, would you, would you be part of this with me? And he was like, yeah. So we started working at it, and here we are, second race. Uh, we've, we've gotten some solid results with the team already. Uh, the first race, how you mentioned, was in Rotolana. And uh, we had some solid results from the first weekend. We got we got on the box in race two. And then over here, this this weekend was an extended race, as you mentioned. It was, it was supposed to be 37 laps. Uh, we ended up doing 28 total laps because of the weather. So uh, it was definitely a good experience for us. First time doing pretty much the pit stop for us as a team, as a team together. Uh, the guys have worked the Daytona 200 by, by themselves and other teams, so they have a little experience with it. But all together as a team was the first time doing it. So very happy that the team got it together. They got me in and out at a, at a very fast pace. So uh, yesterday's race was a teamwork, you know. Yes, uh, there's long races. The team have to be on point just as the rider because they have they take a big big part in the race. So my hats off to the guys for putting it all together so fast and getting me in and out as, as fast as they could. Yeah, well, I think those of us that are you know have been seeing you make that uh, occasional appearance in Moto America the last few years and uh, doing extremely well with uh, you know definitely a lot more limited uh, resources than some of the teams you were competing against. That uh, we're really glad to see you get this opportunity. And uh, we're, we're looking forward to seeing what you can do, make the most of it. Uh, yeah, that race yesterday, I, I know that was the first one they did of those, and uh, the weather didn't help the situation. Made it made it pretty interesting. But uh, what was there anything that you guys could have done differently that might have gave you a, a little better shot at uh, uh, getting uh, Pippin Javi for the win? Javi Forez won that race, by the way, in case for the people listening. Yeah, so how like I said, I thought we had a solid race. Uh, when the weather came in, it was a, a decision-making game, you know. Uh, at the po- at the point that my crew chief was asking me, "Hey, what tires do you want?" and I was like, 
just put whatever you want and I'll try and figure it out, you know. Uh, so the crew chief did a great job doing the decisions. At one point, I was a little stressed out with the, red, the first red flag because we went out there with slicks and it was completely wet. Mm -hmm. So it definitely stressed me out a little bit, but the team gave me some signals, just stay out there, figure it out, you know, and I think it worked for our favor, you know. Uh, we had a couple misfortunate crashes that caused a second red flag, and uh, it worked for our favor because uh, the sun came out and dried the track up, you know, so our, our game worked yesterday, so happy, happy that it worked for us. Yeah, I know after that uh, first red flag and you got out there on the slicks and the track was still pretty wet. I know that had to be unnerving. Uh, but then that, uh, you know, they had that almost immediate second red flag. And, uh, yeah, by the time the, you guys got back out there the second time, track was almost dry. Yeah, track was almost dry. And as you mentioned, uh, we were battling with Xavi for the first, the first stint of the race, you know. And uh, we could have definitely made a pass on him, but... We were all in the same boat about tire situation. We we're all trying to conserve a tire because we didn't really know how many laps we were going to be able to get out of the tire. So I was like, might as well just sit behind him, be safe, have a, have a safe race behind him instead of cooking my tire and maybe losing spots, you know. So um, I think we did a good race until uh, we went into the pits. We did a good pit stop, but unfortunately the Ducati can just be a little quicker than us in the pit stop just because they have a single-sided quick, uh, single-sided swing arm. So they can be about four seconds faster than us on the pit stop. So that definitely maybe showed up in the race a little bit once we got back on track. It was about a four second gap, three, three, three and a half, four second gap. And it just kind of came from there, you know, they're just a little bit quicker than us and there's just nothing we can do to the bike to make it that fast, you know. So uh, again, my team did a great job getting me in and out with what we have. Uh, we have one more race like this in Laguna coming up, so uh, we can get a little bit more experience with the quick change and, and the whole situation. You know, we're going to have more experience as a team. So uh, I think it's going to be a good season for us. I think uh, the first two races have been very good for us. We're still learning each other. We're still learning the bike. We're still learning what the bike can provide for us, you know. So uh, definitely very happy with the outcome of the first two rounds. Yeah, and... Uh... Yeah, so it's looking promising for you guys the rest of the season. Like you say, I mean, up against Javi Flores, experienced uh, world-level racer, endurance racer, uh, and then, you know, the Ducati team, they, they've got some experience over there, like I say, with the pit stops and all, whatever. You guys made a heck of a good show in uh, only your second uh, round out on this, this bike. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how things go in Laguna. You know, everybody, including Moto America, got a little, has a little bit better idea on, uh, you know, how to deal with that extended race format. So looking forward to that. Uh, Stefano, so you've already got a win under your belt this year. Uh, you, you, Daytona in the Twins Cup, you uh, filled in for uh, Kayla Yakov, who had uh, injured a, a leg or an ankle uh, just leading up to that weekend. And, uh, yeah, so you uh, got to ride that uh, bike for Melissa Paris, MP13, at uh, Daytona, and then at the first round at Road Atlanta. So what, what was that experience like? Yeah, definitely. Uh, unfortunately, Kayla got hurt in a pre-test at, at uh, Roebling. She hurt her, her ACL, uh, her knee. And um, I didn't even know I was going to ride the bike till Daytona. I was in Daytona, uh, I think, Thursday night in my pit. And I had Melissa and Josh come over, and they were like, hey, we have this situation going on. Uh, we'll know for sure tomorrow right before practice. Would you be up for it? And I was like, well, let me know, and I'll see what I can do, you know? So the morning came and 20 minutes before practice, she comes running looking for me and she's like, oh, great, suit up, suit up, I need you to go out. 
And I'm like, whoa, really? Like, what do I do? Uh, so it was definitely interesting, you know. Uh, our first session wasn't that great. We were like P9. And then we did a few changes to the bike, made it a little bit more comfortable for me. And then Q1 was great for us. We went P1. And then uh, that whole weekend was pretty good for us. You know, we were only doing, we were only there to do the Super Hooligan class with the Energica, with the Tyler Cycle guys. And uh, we ended up doing this Twin Cup races. The first race, we had an unfortunate situation happen. We lost the shift rod in the first lap in the first corner. So we had to, we, we had a DNF on that one. And then in the second one, we took full advantage of it. And uh, we were able to get a, a win, how you say. And then uh, I was asked to ride the bike at Atlanta again because Kayla was still injured. And uh, I knew it was going to be a little harder for us. You know, Daytona is one of those tracks that you can kind of kind of make anything work. Uh, even a bike that's not that greatly set up will work and you can go win on it. And I knew Atlanta was going to be a hard, a hard one for us. So. Uh, we got to Atlanta. I knew I was, I was racing the 600 too, so obviously my main my main focus was on my on my project, my 600, right? And uh, the 600 went all good all weekend. We struggled a little bit on the twin. Um, the first race, I think we got a fifth place, quite, quite some far from the from the leaders. So for the second day, I had my guys come into come and move the bike a little bit. And we had a little bit better showing. We were able to fight for the podium for pretty much the whole race till the last lap. And that last lap, I just lost it. But definitely happy. Uh, I mean, it's it's nice riding all types of bikes. It's nice getting asked from such a, such such uh, respected guys in the paddock come come and ask me to ride their bike. You know, so definitely very grateful for for them to come ask me for the for the for to ride the bike and uh, grateful for the opportunity. Yeah, well, that's that's the, you know, the upside of you showing your talent, like you say, working hard as a as the privateer and going out there and putting in the miles and the laps and uh, and, and gaining the attention and the admiration to get those opportunities. So, yeah, you mentioned the Energica uh, that you're riding for Titlers also, and the, when they the select rounds where they run the Super Hooligans uh, races, that's a pretty interesting uh, uh, venture going up against uh, the uh, ice spikes with the. Uh, on that electric uh, energy bike, uh, what's that been like so far? Yeah, it's definitely a cool experience. You know, it's the future, so it's definitely cool to be involved with the future. Uh, that's the boss's kind of main focus. That's what he likes, you know. So it's definitely cool to be involved with him in it. And uh, we just gotta keep making the bike better. You know, uh, it's it's an electric bike. We're having a few issues here and there, but nothing we can't solve. Uh, the team is working hard to make the bike better for us to make it more competitive, so we can fight with the Indians and all these bikes that are up front so uh the ridge is our next round in a few in a maybe like in a month so uh definitely looking forward to that it'll be an interesting weekend because i'll be on both bikes the 600 and the, and the super hooligan so uh definitely up for the challenge and uh hopefully we can get both of them on the podium yeah that that is a, a neat thing we're looking forward to seeing how that goes uh next time out so stefano mesa fast guy from south florida uh, you know, several fast guys we know out of South Florida, Sean Dillon Kelly, uh, Gabriel De Silva. What, what, what's in the water down there, uh, Stefano? You guys got some quick guys coming out of there. Yeah, definitely. We had a good, we have good talent coming out of there. I think we, the talent that's out there from, it's about the same age right now. Uh, they're a little younger than me. I'm a little older than them. I've been around for a little bit longer, but uh, we're all here trying to do the best we can. You know, trying to doing the, the, the sport we love, so uh, we're all grateful to be in the spots we are. Excellent. Stefano, appreciate your time. Uh, we're glad to have you here in the Moto America paddock full-time this year. 
exciting to see what you guys can do moving forward. Uh, and uh, best of luck to you, and thanks for joining us here on Motopod. Thank you, guys. Okay, here in the Westby Racing, uh, back at the team hauler with Matthew Schultz. Matty, thanks for joining us on Motopod. Yeah, thank you for having me. So here we are at Barber, round two this Sunday, race two coming up later today. Uh, so Road Atlanta, a little bit rough weekend for you, I know, but uh, definitely seem to have rebounded here in uh, race one yesterday. Yeah, I mean, we did a lot of uh, pre-season testing, so we went to the road Atlanta round thinking that we'd be right up at the sharp end of the field and, you know, unfortunately we're a little bit further off than we would have liked to have been, but, you know, got a fifth and a third, so, you know, I don't think it was too, too bad. Um, then, yeah, I came to Barber. It's obviously one of my favorite tracks. I usually do do well here, but, you know, it's not like we, we, we started too far back. You know, from the first practice, we were really, really quick, showed that we that that we, we had something we could be challenging up front and you know qualifying went really really well uh second in the first one and qualifying two you know i was in third place after just using the the softer race tire um put on the qualifying tire got a red first sector got a green in the second one a personal best and unfortunately got got bogged down but you know still still managed to qualify third so i was happy there um, and the, the, the first race, my, my start was terrible, and I dropped down to fifth place, got uh, caught up battling with a couple guys. But once I got up to, to third, I kind of managed to, to separate uh, myself from the, the chasing pack of Bobier, Heron, Richie Escalante, PJ Jacobson, and kind of moved a little bit um, uh, towards Cameron and Jake up in first and second. But, you know, I think once they, they kind of have a, a few seconds on you, you're not going to catch them. You know, so with a couple of laps to go, I, I just settled and took uh, the, uh, the, the third. Um, you know, overall, I think I'm pretty happy there. Um, just, you know, we could kind of see from, from lap five to about lap 10, 11, 12, I was actually running a couple of tens quicker than the factory Yamaha guys. So we know we have a pretty good pace at the middle of the race. It's got to clean up the first few laps. Yeah, so uh, I know yesterday there was some question uh, about tire life going into the race. Uh, yeah. Seemed to work out better than I think some people were thinking. What was the, what was your thoughts on that? Um, well, you know, usually we we run the R three rear tire, which is the softer compound. It's the O one two nine tire from 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 last year. They changed the tires slightly, um, and that was the the race tire we used last year here. But it just seemed that in the Friday practice, the tire was just getting ripped up after six or seven laps. You know, and the, the the race is meant to be 20 laps. You know, so a couple guys were trying to to set up the bikes to kind of run the the softer tire and see if they could kind of prolong the life of that. A couple guys were trying to run the R5 harder spec tire and try to maybe come on stronger in the second half. Um, but you know, um, I think maybe like and like an hour before the race, the 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 Mud America officials came up to us and told us they were shortening the the race from a safety aspect. Um, so that kind of, kind of definitely pushed us um, towards the uh, the R3 softer spec tire, and um, it definitely held up better than than what we thought. You know, I think the I think in in practice coming into the pits, letting the tire cool off and heating it back up, I think that that really takes um, a, a lot of the uh, the tire life out of it. So I think um, when we just put 16 laps down down straight consecutively, I think it, it held up a little better than everyone thought. So full race distance today, I assume. Um, we're not sure yet. We're just kind of waiting to kind of see what the guys say. But the uh, but the temperature is a little bit warmer today than it was yesterday. 
um, and that definitely helps the the softer compound tire. But we'll kind of take it as it goes. Um, but you know, even if we just have to put another four four laps, going from 16 to the proper race distance of 20 laps, I think the the R3 is going to be the the choice for us. Yamaha's a little kinder on their tires. Um, but I think I think the the secret to the second race is going to definitely be um, managing the softer tire, not burning it up in the first couple of laps. Sure, sure. So during the off season, and as far as with the electronics and things, what changes uh, have you guys made? I know you guys have took a step forward, from what I understand, uh, over the off season. Um, I mean, uh, I don't really know too much. Um, I just know that we have a few more more channels that we're able to kind of change with the torque and traction control you know i think we were pretty limited with the older software package that we used to have um and now we've got a much more current version so there's just a few more areas that we're able to kind of change and look into um and i think that that's definitely helped us so you personally are you anything with your riding style that you've made any changes on coming into this season um i mean uh, at this point now i just got to trust the system a little bit more because you know the last couple of years we've been struggling with with really big spin ups out of the corner and it seems now that this new new system has different ways of catching those those big spin ups you know and i think you know gagne is one of those guys that you, you you can clearly see that he kind of really uses the the traction control system to help catch the bike and i think i has got to be more more confident on the throttle coming out of the corner and just kind of trust that it's going to catch me. So, Maddie, I know me and a lot of the other fans. We we really uh, appreciate your 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 passion and your emotion. You wear your emotion <laughs> on your sleeve, yeah. And uh, we love that, man. I mean, you know, when when things are going rough, we know it. Uh, when it's yeah. good, we know it. But you know, we know we know what we're, what we're getting with you. There's not there's no you know nothing hit, no punches held back, and uh, definitely I think you're becoming already but even more so a fan favorite and then the pressure to rise show yeah uh, that's really good with you uh you know you and ned sullivan your crew chief and chuck you know those guys yeah i uh, really enjoy seeing the interaction amongst the team uh really really solid setup you guys have here in the westby uh westby uh well i mean yeah thank you for those words i mean uh, i think i'm a pretty simple guy what you see is what you get um, yeah, I mean, sometimes you got to, you know, watch what I do and say because I do get worked up a little bit, whether it's on the positive side or the negative side. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think with the whole Westby team, I think it's just the the deal that this is everyone's life and their passion. You know, I've been riding bikes since I was seven. I'm 30 now, you know, um, and, you know, the, I, I, I moved to this country back in 2016, left my parents, left my family. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's just been a really awesome um, uh, journey, you could say. And, you know, I'm just really living the dream. You know, I'm getting paid to kind of wake up, ride my uh, mountain bike, go to gym, train, race one of the best prepped super, super bikes throughout the whole world. And, you know, I just know that I'm very fortunate to be here. Awesome. Yeah, amazing what you guys do. Uh, one back team, uh, you know, single rider team against yeah. some of these. I mean, it's, it's really impressive. So hopefully you and your uh, South African mate, uh, Cam Peterson, can go uh, go out there later today, gang up on Gagne just a little bit. Yeah, I mean, Cam Peterson's definitely picked up his pace from the 22 season. Um, you know, I think he he knows he, he's on the same package as Gagne. And I think everyone kind of knows that that has been the best bike for the last couple couple seasons. So, you know, he knows he's got to pick it up and he, he really has. Um, you know, I think it just all all boils boils down to the same deal, which it has been for two three seasons now. Is that Jake really 
flies out there in the first couple couple laps and i think if we can just kind of minimize the damage that he does early on it always seems that we kind of match him from the fifth or sixth lap on so i just got to really work on getting better better starts and holding him up slightly and i think from the first race of the season you could kind of see once once Bobier kind of you know um stopped jake running out front early on we, we kind of got into a pretty serious battle so i think that that's kind of going to have to be the theme of the season from here on out yeah, a lot of excitement for the uh, Superbike class in Moto America this year after Road Atlanta. So, uh, well, Matthew, I'll let you get to it. I know we got the fan wall coming up, and uh, best of luck today, rest of the season. Hope to see you back up on the box this afternoon. Yeah, I mean, warm up went pretty good. We made a couple changes. I'm feeling confident. So, thank you so much, and you know, hope you put it back on the box. Thanks for joining us on Motopod, Manny. Cheers, cheers, guys. Thank you so much. <laughs> Okay, here in the Tyler Cycle Racing Pits uh, at Cambovier after uh, race one at Barber yesterday, race two coming up this afternoon. Cam, uh, what's your thoughts coming into the day after uh, what you, you guys learned yesterday? Uh, hoping for the track temp to come up a little bit. Uh, yesterday we were pretty indecisive on what rear tire to go with and we decided to go on the hard rear tire. And, uh, I think that was a mistake after we got done with the race because everyone went soft and their tires didn't look too bad. So, uh, I mean, live and you learn and um, we're hoping we can make the soft tire work today. Uh, we had a really good warm up, made a couple changes to the bike and um, tried the soft and I went faster than I did in qualifying. So. Uh, it felt like we made a step, but we'll see the tires shredding up real bad. So see hopefully the track temp comes up like i said and uh it's a little longer race today and yeah see how it goes so they have made the call to run the full distance today i th yeah i think it's around 20 laps okay. so uh yeah so obviously uh different uh characteristics to this track than road atlanta uh what what uh obviously not as much of a horsepower track here but what, what pros and cons are you seeing now that you guys are here at barber after the road atlanta weekend yeah i mean road atlanta we're definitely able to use the legs of the bmw here not so much because there's not really any long straightaways um but like i said yesterday it was a pretty it's a pretty good test for us with uh just this tight twisty track i mean we need to work we need to get this thing to turn plain and simple if we're going to be competitive with uh, the yamaha boys and i feel like we're making steps uh and it's it's just going to take a little time but uh, definitely the brakes i believe are something you guys are good on that's that's got to be a bit of a plus here i would think yeah yeah the thing's really stable on the brakes and it's uh it's obviously a rocket on the straight but like I said, this tight, this twisty track, like you, you need the thing to be able to turn around on itself and and use the use the grip the tires give. So, uh, yeah, I tried to swing on on Friday afternoon. I felt like that was a maybe a little step. It's pretty hard to say, but um, yeah, I feel like we're making we're making sm small strides, but nothing's coming quick. <laughs> Right. So I know at Red Atlanta, I believe you mentioned you guys maybe had some, you know, some bits coming later in the season. Anything came through yet? Uh, yeah, we're, we have, we are on some stuff. We still have some stuff coming. And, 
I think I think one good thing will be the frame. We're gonna get a World Superbike spec frame with it's braced a little bit different, and I think that will be. Uh, I hope that will be a step, but you never know. You never know. Um, but yeah, I mean, even with what we have right now, just making tweaks to it and improving what we have now is is we're still getting somewhere. So speaking of World Superbike, uh, you and uh, Garrett Gerloff have any communications with him over there on the Bonovo bike, and uh, you know just characteristics differences between uh, you know the Moto America bike and the World Superbike spec bike? Yeah, I honestly I think our bikes are 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 similar, but they're I mean they're on a different frame, different swing arm, stuff like that. Um, I think. Obviously, motors, motor and electronics are pretty much the same, but they definitely have been trying a lot, a lot more stuff than we have been. Obviously, they're in Europe, and uh, BMWs in Europe, Alphas in Europe, but they've been they've been helping us a lot lately. Alpha has and uh, given us some some guidance on like what has been working for those guys over there. And uh, yeah, I talked to talk to Garrett all the time. He's one of my good buddies. And uh, we've been, yeah, talking about stuff that he likes and he doesn't like, and um, yeah, it's good to have good to have someone like that over over there to bounce ideas off of. So, just on a personal level, how are you enjoying racing this year as compared to definitely last year, maybe the last couple of years over in the Moto GP paddock and Moto Two? A lot more, man. Honestly, I like just. Uh, it's just so nice to go home after every race and see the family and obviously I have a my wife and I have a kid on the way so it's just nice to be around my family and friends and close ones more often and uh, not live in Europe but it was cool I'm not saying that wasn't a cool experience it was a great experience but it's uh, I mean I'm 30 years old now it's just nice to it's nice to be home and have a good opportunity here with the Titlers guys and uh, Got a name picked out for the for the new edition coming? Little Brody. <laughs> nice, like it. Cam, appreciate your time. Uh, best of luck today, rest of the season. Everybody's excited you're back over here. Looks like we got a cracker of a Superbike class coming up in Moto America this year, and I uh, just just wish you the best. Thank you, man. Okay, here in the uh, Ducati uh, Warhorse HSBK pits with Javi Flores and uh, Javi has came on the Moto America Super Sport this season and uh, just taking uh, taking it by the by the balls I guess you could say <laughs> Javi thanks for joining us here on Motopod. Yeah no worries thank you so much. So Javi Flores you know we, we have uh, American and European listeners here uh, I know most of them don't need any, any introduction to this guy he's he's if it can be done, he's pretty much done it. Uh, you know, Superbike, uh, Super, uh, World Superbike, World Supersport, MotoGP, uh, all three BSB classes. everywhere. BSB everywhere. Yeah, I did everywhere. Everything. Amazing. So he thought he'd come dip toe over here in the Moto America paddock. And, uh, man, Javi, uh, so let's start at the, the beginning with uh, Daytona. That, that was a little bit different beast, I'm sure. And plus, first weekend with the team, 
on the bike. Uh, what, what's, what's some of the thoughts you brought away from Daytona? Yeah, well, the Daytona was a big disappointing for me because uh, I was really looking forward to race uh, there and had a good result there, especially um, coming for the first time in, in America with the team and so. But we had a, a couple of issues on the bike there during the whole weekend that we couldn't solve the problem uh, at 100%. So after three, four laps, I had to, to retire, I had to, to stop the bike. And uh, it was uh, such a shame because uh, I felt that I could I could stay fighting for for the top five, top six on the race. Um, but anyway, um, it was a good experience. Uh, racing in, in Daytona is something that at least once every every rider uh, must try. So um, I enjoyed a lot the, the the time I spent on the track, on the banking, and uh, in on the infield. So. Uh, hopefully we can we can have another chance next year and try to fight for the win because I think uh, if we prepare well the race and the, the bike don't has any issues with more experience by myself also on the track and on the bike could be something interesting. As many tracks as, as you raced in your career, what were your thoughts after the first uh, few laps at Daytona? Uh, it was super crazy because we don't have these kind of bankings and uh, these kinds of tracks in Europe and uh, we ne I never been on on. on nothing similar to that one so uh, the first three laps I was I was completely lost especially when I when I came into the into the both bankings but I had a good help from from Josh Herring and uh, I was um, riding with him um, especially after the, uh, on the during the during the second session I was riding a lot with him and I was learning a lot uh, with him so that was a huge help for me, and uh, after that, I started to feel more natural on the track. Yeah, so uh, good experience. Uh, like I say, uh, I know you would have liked to have come away with a little bit better finishing, but, you know, that's Daytona. Uh, yeah. A lot of things can happen there mechanically, pit stops and all that. But, uh, yeah, looking forward to you hopefully getting another shot at that beast uh, next year. So then, so then we move on to Road Atlanta, first uh, regular round points paying round of the season for the super sport class and uh, I assume it would have been the first time you'd seen Road Atlanta also? I was in Road Atlanta in 2004 when I was a kid uh, because we had a Suzuki Cup race and I was coming here representing Spain and uh, yeah but I, I, I couldn't remember the 100% the of the track and also there was some different points since I came here for the last time but Honestly, I, I didn't feel uh, completely lost on the track. I had small references and uh, uh, it was uh, a small help to me, to be at least, to know where, where I was. So, come away from Road Atlanta, doing the double two victories, uh, pretty impressive. Yeah, it was, it was really good, especially because as well, we had some some problems on on the bike on Saturday, electrical problems, and I I had only two laps on my qualify, so I had to start on the second row in fifth position. But on race one, my pace was not that fast as the guys in front of me, but I was strong on the brakes and I tried to stay always on the on the front to don't let the, them go and put some gap on. And uh, it was um, it was positive for me because uh, on the last part of the race I started to, to get my pace and I started to be strong and I could fight for the win to the till the very last uh, lap. So it was it was uh, important for me to get these 25 points. 
And after on Sunday, I got my my pace. I was more solid on the bike. We did we, we made some changes on the bike, and it was uh, helping me a lot. And I I be able. I've been able to put some gap on, on, on the riders and I was like winning by one and a half seconds, something like that. And uh, I felt more comfortable in the bike. So winning the both races on the inaugural, inaugural race of the championship was pretty good for me. Yeah, very impressive. Uh, like I say, first uh, normal round out for the Supersport class this year in Moto America. So now we move on to Barber. Of course, it's a little bit different. Uh, we did the first of the two extended races they're having this year so that race was ran yesterday and you won that one um so three for three uh, as far as the points paying races this year uh that race yesterday you know first time moto america had done that uh so and weather of course threw a wrench into things uh uh what was uh what's the thought you brought away from the extended race yesterday well i was really looking forward to this uh, format race because coming from the World Endurance Championship I had some experience on there and we've been talking quite a lot with the team on how to manage the, the, the race and um, unfortunately it was interrupted uh, a couple of times by red flags because uh, uh, the weather and a couple of uh, big crashes there and we had to short the, the race a little bit so at the end I think we did like 25 laps but still we had to do the pit stop which was the most tricky uh, thing for everyone and uh, we managed really well there. Uh, we, we've been able to don't do any mistake on the pit stop, the guys were working super solid on the bike and especially because uh, it was raining, then red flag, then uh, the, the, the track was drying again so I put the slicks on the bike and I was uh, really confident that the, the track was going to stay on dry. So uh, I tried to stay really focused on that. And on the first part before the stint, I, I put a medium medium uh, compound tire on the rear. I don't felt really good. So Stefano Mesa was be, uh, behind me. And uh, I was trying to, to be conservative, trying to don't get risks. And uh, since I put the bike into the pit and we put the soft tire on, I start to do my pace, 27s, 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 and I put the gap on, on Stefano, and it was, a, it was a good win for me. I didn't, honestly, in this weekend, I didn't expect to win the race because during the weekend, I had to learn the track, to, 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 to set up the bike, to be on the pace, to be competitive, and um, especially Tyler Scott and uh, Josh Hayes were quite fast this weekend. I didn't expect to stay on the win, but uh, in the end, I felt like I was not the fastest one, but I was the smartest one uh, managing the race, and that was uh, paying off. Yeah, I spoke with Stefano just a little bit earlier, and uh, yeah, he, he, was, he was hanging right there with you the first part, but after the pit stop, uh, things got spread out just a little bit, and uh, you uh, looked like you could kind of control it from there. Yeah, Stefano was riding super solid all the weekend, and... Uh, Especially when after before the pit stop, he was uh, behind me all the time. I was trying uh, sometimes I was trying to to push a little bit more, and uh, he was still there. His bike is pretty fast. He has experience. He's a good rider, and uh, I say okay, I'm gonna try to keep him behind me and uh, try to stay focused on myself. And when when I change the tire, maybe I can do something else. And uh, this is what what, what happened. Uh, We've been quick on the pit stop, and uh, I was uh, pulling some p strong pace uh, on the soft tire, and and I think I broke the race on, on, on that moment. Uh, but 
Stefano was quite impressive all the weekend and uh, I have to congratulate him because he's, he's doing well, he's second in the championship right now, he's been solid and uh, he demonstrated also in Atlanta. Yeah, so yes, fans of the series, we're, we're, we're glad to have you here. Uh, you bring a, you just up the level of the Supersport Class 4, bringing your world experience in. We're also glad to see Stefano out there full time because we've been watching him club race the last few years and make a few uh, occasional appearances in Moto America and do really well. So, and then of course, and we've got the the old man Josh Hayes, uh, yeah. the the ageless wonder as I like to call him, who had uh, been running a limited schedule last year for the Squid Hunter team and uh, thought he was going to do the same this year and found out just a few weeks ago that they're going to do the whole season. So. Yeah. Uh, that and with the M4 Tyler Scott out there, uh, looking like a uh, pretty competitive, uh, pretty competitive run, uh, at least through the top five of the Supersport class this year. Yeah, I think we have uh, the top four, or five of uh, the class. We all have chances to win uh, races. Uh, they are super strong. Uh, Josh Hayes is a rider that I know since uh, the past because I am I, I was always a big fan for the Moto America and AMA on the past and he was the man to beat on the on, on that on that time and he's still strong he has the experience as much as I have and um, uh, yesterday when we start the race and it start to to have to draw some drops of rain um, I was pushing pushing and he was behind me so I say okay he understands, as I understand, that we can still push on the bike. So uh, I say I have to count with him for the win today. But unfortunately, when we changed the tires after the second red flag, he kept on on, on reins, mm -hmm. and we put the, the the slicks straight away, and we made the difference there. But Josh is super super talented. This is super fast, and uh, he feels like he's still 25 years old. <laughs> yeah, he's amazing. That's for yeah. sure. So moving forward, the rest of the season, uh, any particular tracks you're really looking forward to getting, uh, getting to awesome. seeing or experiencing maybe for the first time? Yeah, for sure. Every every single track is new for me, a part of Laguna Seca where I was racing in the superbike, and we move now to Road America, which is a track who has a long, long straights, and there the Kawasaki and the Suzuki um, are going to be uh, the bikes to beat because my bike is okay on the straight, but. Uh, comparing the Suzuki and the Kawasaki, we still have uh, less power, and I have to sometimes I have to override as uh, as Josh Hayes uh, does, I guess. Um, but it's fine. I don't I don't blame on that. It's, it's, it's the championship is like that. Uh, we have a good package. They have a good package. Everyone, uh, the top four, five, we have a really proper package to stay on the wins and. Uh, that makes me the things a little bit harder because on the Fridays I need to spend as much time as I can on the track because I don't know any anyone and uh, it's not easy to get the references quick because we have only one hour track on Friday it's into 30 minute sessions and this is something that you have to hurry up because you have to stay on the track you have to stop by the way to make some adjustments on the bike but then you have to go out try to understand quite quick if it's working well or not. So this is something that we had on this weekend. Uh, yesterday when I was on the race, before the race, we made the last changes and I was not completely sure that they were they were, they were gonna work well. But luckily they did, the, the things went, went okay. So Road America looks like it's a nice track as well. And uh, they paved uh, the, whole, the whole circuit 
I think one month ago or something like that. So we are gonna discover a new, a new surface there. So yeah, really looking forward. Yeah, I can really see you taking to Road America. It's it's probably the most like a European circuit that we have okay. here in America. So I can really see you going well there. But also at the other tracks throughout the year, super talented rider, great team. Uh, Excited to have you here, Chavi, and uh, mm. look forward to seeing what you can do the rest of the year. Thanks for joining us here. Yeah, on thank Motopod. you. Thank you, guys. It was a pleasure. All right, we're here in the uh, line for Kayla Yakov's uh, autograph line. Rocco Landers, one of her biggest fans here in line. Rocco, man, you're uh, killing it in the Twins Cup, brother. Good to see you out there on the track. Yeah, I'm glad I have a ride. I didn't have a ride about a month and a month and a half ago, but I'm having fun. I'm really enjoying the bike. Twins is fun. It's got a special place in my heart. So. Yeah. You're uh, way too much talent pouring out of you, buddy, to not have a ride. Everybody knew that. It's just a matter of time. That's the plan. I hope we can get back to the Super Sport next year. Yeah, hopefully so. So the Twins Cup deal with Robum on the Aprilia, is this uh, anything set yet for the rest of the year or still just fill-in? Or uh, uh, Right now it's fill-in. We're not sure what we're going to be uh, doing for the rest of the year. We're waiting to hear what Ben's plans are. He unfortunately hurt himself in Daytona, but I'm really lucky that Robum and Rodeo were able to uh, give me uh, a spot on the grid, which I, uh, I mean, it's pretty sad not to have one. Yeah, for sure, especially a kid of your talent. Uh, so, um, yeah, I mean, you, you hate to get a ride. You hate it Ben got hurt, but, you know, those things happen in this sport, and, uh, you know, opportunity you got to take it when it comes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, it's always it's always good, especially if I can come back. Like I said, come back to one of my favorite classes. Twins are my favorite bikes to ride. The most fun, uh, just for fun factor wise. Yeah. It's gonna be kind of hard for him not to maybe try to come up with a deal for the points leader. You know that, uh, uh, you know that that puts puts a pretty good bargain until there. That's for sure. I think I'm fourth in the points right now, but I was last in the points round, or last round. So yeah, I forgot about that DNF at uh, round one road Atlanta, man. That sucked. But uh, everybody knows you out there, brother. You're killing it. Uh, just wanted to grab a quick word with you. And, uh, yeah, man, be looking forward to seeing you hopefully out there the rest of the season on the Aprilia and uh, back, uh, you know, giving Hayes the old man and those guys uh, fits in Super Sport next year. I appreciate you. Thank you. Yeah, that's a plan. All right. Good deal. Thanks, Rocco. Yep. Scott, thanks for the interviews from Barbara. They're fantastic. And now we'll move on to British Superbikes because, Rich, you were there at Donington, at least on Friday. Yes. So uh, fill us in on the activities from Donington. To say it was a packed weekend and a wonderful weekend of racing is an understatement. I mean, the weather, first of all, was really good. It was meant to be a little bit damp and drizzly on the Friday when I went. And happily... Apart from the odd little kind of spit spot in the air, nothing really ever transpired of any great note anyway. So, I mean, again, it's, it's hard with British Superbike. There's so much action. The standout race, I think, was the first race, the sprint race on the Saturday, because they had a safety car period. And then about, again, I should have written this all down, really, but like a six-lap dash after the safety car went in. And it was just laps of, you just got to watch it. It was absolutely brilliant. So what should I talk about first? I'm not going to go into detail on the races because there's too much to talk about. And, you know, I'll be here for an hour talking, but it was a bit of an up and down weekend in terms of the form. I think that's the key point. So we've tended to have Josh Brooks, Glenn Irwin and Tommy Bridewell have been the standout so far. Bearing in mind, this is only round three. So in the first race, in the sprint race on the Saturday, Kyle Ride on the Yamaha actually won the race. And as I say, there was this um, safety car period. Tommy Bridewell was second, and Leon Haslam, who on a year-old BMW, I'm pretty sure it was a year-old BMW anyway, 
working absolute wonders on that bike. I mean, this is a team he put together. Let's just recap. I think I've mentioned it before, but he put this team together over the winter. So it's a fully sort of, well, let's not call it a privateer entry because, I mean, this is Leon Haslam we're talking about and he's got a lot of experience and a lot of people that back him. But that is not a works bike by any stretch of the imagination. And Leon, again, as a guy who's been around a long, long time, really extracting everything out of it. So... Car ride, Tommy Bridewell, Leon Haslam on the podium in the first race. Cut into Sunday when it was hotter again. We had, bizarrely, a guy who'd been struggling all weekend, really, but Jason O'Halloran won the race. Then you had Ryan Vickers, Car Ride's teammate, after Car Ride had crashed out. He gets his first ever podium in BSB. And Josh Brooks, who was having a bit of a struggle all weekend, he actually managed to get himself onto the podium as well. And then the second race on the Sunday... Uh, Carl Ride won that race as well. Tommy Bridewell on the Ducati and Glenn Irwin on the Ducati. So Paul Bird Motorsport having a massive renaissance this year. So what else is there to say? Donington had a brand new track surface, Jim. So completely resurfaced over the winter. Donington was always a little bit infamous for being very slippery and a bit of a patchwork quilt of old and new tarmac. And the riders always used to complain about it. Lap times were down significantly with the new surface. And... In, in actual fact, given that the weather was pretty warm, there was a lot of concern about how the tyres were actually going to hold on in terms of wear, given how much grip the track had. But anyway, I mean, pretty much everybody made it through fairly well. In terms of the championship standings, we've got this new points system in play this year in BSB. It's a little bit manufactured in the sense that the points gaps between win and the second, third and fourth and down are less. So it is going to create a much tighter field. So we've got Tommy Bridewell, in the championship on 119 points and we've got Glenn Irwin on 116 Josh Brooks on 114 so you can see this is pretty tight at the top Leon Haslam on 110 then Carl Ride on 109 and then Jason O'Halloran in sixth who's the first guy who's really behind a bit in the points so he's back on 70 points so yeah just an action-packed weekend really I mean the thing about Moto America is although Jake Gagne seems to be winning rather a lot it's worth watching him on the first couple of laps isn't it out of the blocks, he's gone, isn't he? Within two laps, he's like five seconds up the road, and then he kind of just manages the gap, doesn't he? Yeah, pretty much. It's, it is impressive. It's a bit tighter at the front in BSB, as you said, and hope, again, hopefully not too contentious, but there's a lot of very, very good bikes and a lot of strength and depth in terms of the riders in BSB, so it's all out war <laughs> pretty much at the front all the time. I managed to have a chat to a few people, Towards the end of the day on Friday, I plucked up the carriage and went and doorstepped a few people when things had died down a bit towards the sort of the late afternoon, early evening time. So these are not long chats because they're just kind of in the not in the pit lane, but at the back of the garage is sort of thing. So I managed to chat for about six or seven minutes with James Whittam. Just got his views on the state of play in BSB this year. Then likewise with Shaky Byrne. Now again, Shane Byrne, people will know multiple BSB champion does uh, commentary work for Eurosport as well now. Then I managed to grab a quick chat with Tommy Bridewell. So yeah, he gave us a few insights into how things had gone on the Friday. And then what was going to be a kind of 60 second job with Josh Brooks and ended up being, a, I think, an eight minute chat. He's a fascinating character because, you know, he's got all the accolades, that guy. And he's the sort of bloke you think he'd sort of brush you off because he's been around for so long. He probably doesn't like the interference of people just sort of stopping him and asking him questions. But I said, Josh, you got 60 seconds for a question? He said, yeah. And we ended up chatting for eight or nine minutes, you know, and he's so intense. He's so thoughtful and concise and honest in the way that he answers questions. Really fascinating. And I'm looking forward to talking to him again. So those 
interviews are coming up now. Alrighty. So I'm here with James Whitton. James, what do you make of the season so far? Just two minutes to sort of tell us what you think is going on, because there's a bit of a change in the pecking order. Yeah, a little bit. I think uh, this year particularly was one of the most difficult years to call. Uh, I think we've lost three or four of the best riders in Taz and in Rory and in Brad. Brad so in I, yeah. I think that's the natural way it should happen for me. If you win British Championship, you should move on and do some yeah. international racing, in my opinion. I agree. So that opened it up a little bit and it also freed up a couple of seats for some younger riders who probably wouldn't have got the chance. I'm thinking Max Cook particularly yep. and others. So in that respect, it's really good. But what it did make it was difficult to actually work out who we're going to do what. One of the things you never would have had down is uh, Josh Brooks oh, I knew you were making a say comeback. That. And yeah, honestly, I like the fella. I think he's misunderstood. I think he's always been a good bloke. Yeah. But I could never see this happening. If you'd have said to me, right, Josh is going to make a comeback on a BMW this, in 2023. Especially on a BMW. <laughs> yeah. No chance, son. Yeah. Save your money. Mm. Uh, so I've, I've really enjoyed that. I've enjoyed seeing him walking down the paddock, coming the other way, smiling. Because I haven't seen that for a couple of years. My thought about Josh was the last couple of years on the Ducati, I mean, that would have finished a lot of people off. Particularly I think, towards I thought, the end of their career. I mean, it's not at the end of his career. But exactly you know, that. But, I thought we'd done. Yeah. And I think a little bit of me must have been thinking, right, is it the bike? Is it me? Is it over? Everything comes to an end and this might be my end. I need to go on another bike to put that to bed. And if I don't do any good on another manufacturer, then it's me yeah. and I'm out. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really pleased it's worked for him. Um, Glenn is gutsy. For me, the question mark over Glenn this year were going to be how well he clicks with, a, with the V4 Ducati and how good that bike is. Mm. Uh, it would appear it's quite good. Yes. <laughs> uh, so I think Glenn's in with, a, in with a good championship shout. Kyle Ride, we knew, we, we, we knew we were going to be quick. Dave Neal causing trouble as usual. Yeah, 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 it's all right. <laughs> we know what it's like. Uh, Kyle Ride, I knew we were going to be quick on occasions. I hope he can put a season together. It looks like he's doing a little bit better job of being quick everywhere than he has done before because it's not his, it's not his talent that's ever been in question for me. It's, it's his uh, inconsistency, blown out on call for whatever reason. So I'm really hoping uh, Kyle can continue in the vein he's going and run at the front most places. Tommy Bridewell, I think he thought he was going to have a good season, and I think he is. Again, I was questioned whether he's going from one Ducati team to another and maybe wouldn't have a better bike than he had the previous year. When you're thinking what a lot of people were thinking, I'm sure, which is that Tommy is a fairly individual sort of a person, isn't he? And the PBM squad is quite known to be a tough environment if things don't quite click. So... I, I, I mean, don't know how to put this without upsetting somebody. No, I know, it's a delicate I point. I but... thought that Tommy and Mr Paul Bird would have fallen out by now. Mm. Uh, however, I, I really hope they don't because everybody likes Tommy. It'd be a popular win if he could pull it off. Yeah. But from my point of view, I'm really pleased to see uh, Paul Bird smiling. Championship needs that team at this the top, panic needs him like yeah. you cannot believe and yeah. people like him and there didn't many like him yeah. he puts a lot of his own effort and resource more importantly mm. into what he does and it needs that and he does it properly look at the damn thing that's what the paddock needs to look that like. is quite some hospitality Brilliant. unit isn't it yeah and, and very impressive you could see that not just the sort of the joy in his face at Silverstone but the flipping relief do you know what I mean? He's, he's putting a lot I, of money into it. I did it. grab a little word with him a few minutes ago and he says we're back where we should be. Great, and that, that is the it's attitude, great, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Just nothing, so second dead, best is not good enough. Dead, dead, please, for that. 
We've also got Jason Allen, you can never write off, and he would have probably started the season as my favourite if I'd had to put my own money on it. And he's had a rough start to this season. Yeah. At least you know. he's had a rough start and not a rough end, so maybe it'll turn around this year. Hopefully that's the way it's going to work, yeah. yeah. So just finally, because I know you need to get off and sound a bit hoarse <laughs> yeah, <laughs> after am, lots yeah. of talking today. Uh, new track surface here, fast lap times. Uh, yep. Looks, uh, I think the uh, two Yamahas on the provisional front row. Yep. Is it going to suit the Yams a little bit more? Do you think perhaps the Beamers and the Dukes won't have it all their own way this weekend? Yeah, I think uh, for the Yams, I think they with more grip round here, they are able to use the benefit the bike gives a little bit more with grip, i.e. faster stuff, yeah. from red gate basically to, to the back end of coffees. Um, so I was discussing it actually this week with uh, with Steve Rogers, the boss at McCams uh, Racing, and, and he felt that, or he, he hoped that, yeah. and I thought that might be the case. Yeah. Uh, that's not to say anybody else is out of it. I, think, I still think it's going to be some good racing around here. I think tyres are going to be an issue for the race distance, yeah. but, but we'll see. I think a lot of people got good returns out of the X last year and I think that might not be possible for race distance this year mm-hmm. and that Kyle Rye is really looking forward to the fact that he thinks not a lot of people can and he's ridden here before this weekend yeah. he did a, a track day and he said nobody's going to be able to run the X or wear out Is it your impression that the Yamaha perhaps is the, the most easy bike on the tyres in a, a track like this which is yeah. all about sweeping lines fast yeah. in and out Yes yeah. I think the Yamis that's one of its benefits I think one is mid-corner stability, able to run through the corners and the fact that it, you, the way the power works and the fact that it hasn't got an untold amount of power compared yeah. to some of those easy, easy on tyres, yeah. And final question then, because I keep saying let's get on. Lots of Hondas on the grid this year. It looked yeah. like the bike to be on. I mean, Danny Kent punching above his weight, that LKR team doing a brilliant job. Yeah, I agree. Um, Spud Nesbitt sort of carrying on, perhaps yeah. not quite where you'd hope to be so no, I far. Think but a bit of, I think I've, I've got a lot of faith in, in Spud. Yeah. A great lad. Yeah. Great. Well. And, and the honour is good. I mean, you've only got to look at the stock now uh, to realise that that is a cracking bike. Yeah. 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 And I mean, what I love about BSB, I mean, all up and down the pit lane is just quality, isn't it? Yeah. So, and the racing the feels unreal is now. just brilliant. Yeah. Even, we're having a little discussion on the pod this week because one of the listeners have written in to say, talking more specifically about Moto America and the yeah. fact that the sort of the dearth of sales of litre superbikes now in various markets is kind of causing trouble and I made the point well not in BSB it's not I mean I don't know what the sales are of superbikes you know road bikes in, in this UK. country in the UK nothing, no, yeah, okay. nothing. But and it's, it's had no effect I think long, it's the best that, it's ever been that is the whole it, it's a completely different tin of worms we're opening there yeah. but long term when you are racing a road-based class. If the road bikes aren't being produced to base those racing bikes on, you're a bit knackered. So how does this place keep going like it is then? I think there's a good set of rules at the minute, but once it, well, you, you've only got to look at the way Super Sport has gone to keep grids full and to keep it competitive. They will almost allow anything in, and they've got a brilliant. I mean, it, the way it's working is unreal. Like, I don't know how they've done it. Yeah. Um, credit to them. When you can pit a 604 against uh, a 6364 against an 800 triple, a 765 triple, a 12 year old 750 Suzuki, <laughs> and, a, the past, and a 955 <laughs> twin, and have it competitive. Yeah. But that's because there isn't anybody producing uh, middleweight essentially four cylinder 600s. 
that's the way Super Sport's gonna gonna had to have gone, and, and yeah. I think long term Superbikes have to do something similar. But at the minute, it's uh, the sun is still shining on BSB. Yeah. And as long as it's as entertaining as it is, and this okay. is an entertainment business, I suppose yeah. when you get down to it, yeah. hopefully the manufacturers will stick around. Yeah. Well, that's been brilliant, James. I must let you go, but uh, thanks a lot. Thank Talk you. to you again. Cheers. So I'm just stood with uh, Shane Byrne, legend of the sport and BSB. Shane, what are you making of BSB 2023 so far? A few surprises and a few shake-ups in the order? Yeah, I think uh, I think the good thing about it is that absolutely nobody seems to know who's going to do what at the moment, do yeah, they? Which is what we like, isn't it, at yeah. the end of the day? Yeah. And, and that, that ultimately is, is what BSB is all about. You know, the fact that uh, we as so-called experts can't say... Uh, yeah, well, I think it's going to be this guy, or I think it's going to be this guy. It just goes to show how close the racing is, and uh, two very different tracks so far, but some remarkably similar results from one to the next. So, um, yeah, maybe a bit more of a steer than we're used to at this kind of time of year. But um, there's a few people that have been caught out with a lack of um, dry testing and stuff, and, and you know, I don't think that the order is set as yet. Anybody that's kind of jumping out at you as a big surprise so far this year whether it be an established rider or one of the new kids coming up um, I'm thinking of this guy over here what might be <laughs> first and foremost in your mind given the couple of years he's just coming off but I think that uh, there's a couple of people that have impressed me so far one of them is Danny Kent actually yeah he's really um, his weight, isn't he, with that team yeah I mean don't get me wrong the bike's good but building your own team and, and going out like that that's that's quite impressive and another one in the in the same vein is uh, is Leon Haslam because you know he's ridden everything there is to ride and you know found himself pretty much without a ride so created his own team and, and sort of started afresh so um, you know to to have the kind of will and desire if you like to to sort of pull all that together as, as last minute as he did and, and get out there and you know be fighting for the podium straight away is really good um, yeah testament I've, actually i suppose to the championship and the rules and so on that i know leon haslam's a big name and he's got a lot of contacts but uh, as you say to create a team like that and be running at the front straight away is yeah. very very impressive yeah very good um josh you just alluded to um you know i think he's he surprised me i think that you know that that decision to, to put him on that bike could have gone one or two ways and fortunately I think he's he's proving probably 95% of the paddock wrong um, because you know after the couple of seasons that he's had on the on the PBM Ducati which is you know one of the reference teams and they expect results you know he was you know without being horrible pretty much pitiful most of the year and, and it was difficult to watch so it's really nice actually to see him turn it around and, and you know be fighting for wins and, and whatever else and you know show that the old Josh Brooks is still in there the talent never goes away does it no what they say classes form is what something and one, one's the other I can't remember what the saying is but um, at which yeah. point I mean you're not so long out of the game yourself I mean how is it rocking up to these race weekends is it, is it still a, an itch you'd like to scratch or oh, racing's million, done there a million percent I'd, I'd love I'd love nothing more than to, to get I mean listen nobody's going any faster now than than you know we went back in 2016 here I mean the new surface on the track here today at Donington Park seems to be really fast you know the lap yeah. times today are incredible but you know up until last year nothing had really moved on that much at all and you'd like to think that you know it was five years to the day the other day since my accident you'd like to think that really horsepower and tires and whatever else have, have kind of developed and evolved quite considerably since I last rode so 
begs the question why aren't they going any faster but uh, <laughs> should get out there and show them how to go <laughs> well I'm quite happy walking and talking at the moment thanks yeah, yeah, yeah. well look Shake I mustn't keep you any longer but thank you ever so much for that it's been great to talk to you thank you cheers mate Tommy Bridewell yeah been monster Ducati done a lot of laps on the Ducati around Donington Park mm. over the years haven't you what yeah. do you make of the new surface how, how yeah, are you finding new, it new surface is good very very good um Obviously, the old surface, there was too much uh, bitumen joining, obviously, repairs up, and yep. it just made it so inconsistent. So the, the new surface now is just uh, just almost as Donington should be, to be honest. It's not... It's kind of like... I, I don't know how you word it, really, without being wooden incorrect but it's what the racer expects the track should be up to this standard it's an international level yeah. track isn't it it should never have bitumen or joining stuff up that no track should so um yeah it's what i expected and it's it's done well so yeah no all good tiger gonna last full race distance uh it's taking a bit of work but it's like anything you know it's the old surface you roll out and think our oh, tires aren't an issue the new surface you think oh actually this is another factor to, to kind of put in the mix but yeah no I think um, I think they'll last it's just a bit more time management yeah and I mean you've had an absolutely stunning start to your career with the PBM squad I yeah. mean what you expect I'm sure it's what you expect yes but yeah, yeah. has it surpassed expectations a bit yeah 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 um, it, certainly at Silverstone for, for definite um, Alton Park was again was strong but just a few little hiccups on on my behalf leading uh, mess up qualifying 15th to 5th was was a good result but yeah. uh, you know it was what it was winning was was nice um, but just going leading the team in the wrong direction for the last race was was slightly my fault so but we're, we're building and learning as a team and that's the main thing well I wish you the best of luck this weekend and let's see if we can get a few more wins on the board thank you so much cheers Tommy all the best alright cheers mate One question. Yeah. <laughs> I've been trying to nab you for ages. Yeah. <laughs> I'm with Josh Brooks. Josh, you've come off a tricky couple of years, so I'm intrigued to know what's your overarching emotion? You've had a stunning start to this season. Is it relief? Is it just you knew you could do it? I mean, how do you kind of put the last two years behind you and, and go forward this year with the success that you're having and the feeling? Obviously, you've got feeling with this bike. Yeah, the. Um my career's been long and full of um, setbacks, whether it be you know financial issues, yep. bike problems, injuries, uh, a team that you don't get on. You know what I mean? Like uh, I've experienced it all, really. So I was chatting to um, somebody the other day about your first season on the HM Plant Honda, and I was trying to remember what year that was. 2009. Wow. So I mean, that goes to show, doesn't it? Yeah, but I had years of dramas before that oh, too. Sure. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. So every, there's no one that's been successful in business or sport. That hasn't got a story to tell, yeah. you know. So, so I think the the years of experience have have, ta- have taught me not to lose faith or confidence in yourself. And I didn't throughout the last couple of years, as you mentioned, with the poor results, I could recognise that you know I wasn't breaking later than I ever have and still not getting the results, or leaning over further than I've ever leaned over before and still not getting the results. I was riding a bike that I felt was disabled. You know what I mean? Yeah, it yeah. was. It wasn't working the way it did in 2019. Yeah, because obviously you won the championship on that same yeah, bike. Yeah, on that same, same bike. Yeah, 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 exactly. So um, some things had evolved, um, particularly the engine, and that disrupted the whole um, settings and development direction of the, of the chassis, and uh, the two didn't link together. I think um, 
I can say with confidence that uh, the Ducati had their best interests in mind. Obviously, you wouldn't think they're going to make a bad engine. No, of course not. No. Um, but I think the development was probably more focused around World Superbike um, than focusing on actually what was needed for BSB. Yeah. So basically, it, it just ended up with a bike that was difficult to ride. Um, we couldn't produce the results, and I knew that. So um, I was the eternal optimist. I always tried to find another way to make it work. You know, we yeah. we didn't have the um, the luxury of changing the engine spec that I wanted, so we had to try and make it work in other ways. And you know, we persevered with chassis position and springs and damping and everything you could imagine, but nothing really transpired into the results that we wanted. You know, yeah. there was moments where it showed signs of promise, but then it was short lived. You know, so. Um, so once I got onto another bike, in, in this case it turned out to be the BMW, which I'd also had bad experiences on in years before yep. um, because of similar reasons. The bike wasn't working. Um, the team weren't correctly prepared for that year, that season, that championship. So the bike it wasn't fair on the, the results. Uh, if you were to judge the bike on the results, it wasn't fair because it didn't have an opportunity to create good results. Mm -hmm. So, but that's another story on its own. Um, the point is that once I got onto another bike that didn't have the issues that I had at, B at Ducati, um, the, the the form that and, and class that I have was able to come back to the forefront. But were you and even surprised at how quickly you've adapted no, to this new no, bike? No, 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 no. I mean, I've ridden Suzuki's, Kawasaki's, Honda's, Yamaha's, yeah, Ducati's now, BMW's. I've ridden all the different brands. I've ridden in Supersport, I've ridden in Superbike, I've ridden in British, I've ridden in Australia, I've ridden in Worlds, I've ridden in Suzuka 8 Hour. You know, I mean, I've ridden so many variations of combinations. Yeah. It's un it's unreal. Um, huge database of uh, yeah, I've got a huge to, yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, so I, I I knew, and that's why I didn't lose faith in myself because I could feel that there was something wrong. And for the same reason now Ducati have got strong again this year, they've made the changes necessary yep. to give their riders the confidence they needed. Last year we had an ex-world champion in Tom Sykes, ex-BSB champion in myself, and neither of us could, could yep. find the, the, the performance that we, we, we needed. Yep. So um, I think there was enough evidence to suggest you know, what the situation was. And now I'm outside of that situation and I'm back to how I probably would have been yep if the circumstance were different, you know? Yeah, so yeah. there's a lot to talk about if you want to really delve into it. Well, the it. devil's always in the detail, isn't it? But um, I think keeping it more simplified is the best way for people to understand. Just say, look, you know, that year it didn't work out. We've moved on to something else and now it's okay again. It's working so, again. Well, um, look, there's nobody more pleased than me to see you yeah. back at the front and winning races. Yeah, and um, I'm sure the, the same with all of the MotorPod listeners. So... Um, yeah, that we was have... more than a minute. Yeah, <laughs> so, okay. As always, you give very articulate, well-considered and thoughtful answers. I try to. Detail. Yeah, yeah, I try it's, to. It's I mean... great to know, you know, how you've approached, get, you know, the last few years. It's really yeah, interesting. Yeah, I, I want to, I, I always try to uh, limit the uh, opportunity of, of misrepresenting myself or, or giving information that's, um, like, for example, because I think it's, it's obvious doesn't mean people that haven't been around it know it's obvious, yeah. you know what I mean? And obviously so, it's a given that, you know, up and down this pit lane, everybody's trying their damned hardest all the time. Exactly. And sometimes it works exactly. and sometimes it doesn't so work I, quite as well. I try and give my answers in the most sort of like um, articulated way so that people can understand from someone that's like within my inner circle that knows most of the details anyway, right to somebody that's new to the sport. Yeah. 
and just wonders why the guy on the red bike isn't going <laughs> as good as he did last year. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. Uh, you've got to kind of, tr- you have to try and accommodate all the different listeners and, and people uh, uh, that are motorcycle followers. Yeah. Um, just very quickly, this weekend, new surface on the track, so a lot more grip than people have been used to. Yeah. How was it out there today? Yeah, that's right. The The feeling was that there is quite a bit more grip um, available, but it has uh, it, had its, it has its evils as well. Um, tire wear is horrendous. Uh, yeah. I don't know how it is for others. I haven't had a chance to sort of like hear the gossip, but um, our tire wear is certainly not, uh, nothing to be proud of. <laughs> so... Um, so yeah, we've got some we've got some work ahead of us to uh, to try and put on a twenty lap race. A sprint race is probably more achievable. Yeah, uh, with it's the tyre wear as well in the, in the, over the next couple of days. Or yeah, well, okay. Well, that so, could that could affect things a lot as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like I said, the, the, the sprint race being shorter um, should be able to be achieved by most people, I think. But the longer race uh, is something to be considered because that'll definitely see some. Um, some issues at the end with tyre wear and yeah. people dropping back and people coming forward or vice versa so yeah, yeah. Um, yeah we'll see what it's going to be can, interesting I mean BSB with. is always interesting you never quite know who's going to be yeah. at the front what's going to go down uh, exactly so. even me I'm in it I'm in the practices I'm in the qualifying and you start to you know create this opinion of how I think the, the, the weekend's going to go and I'm often in the race wondering how I've lost this position or someone else has gained <laughs> that position and yeah, it's, uh, I think that's the beauty of BSB. It's always uh, entertaining. Yeah. Well, look, we wish you the best of luck for the weekend. Hope you yeah. get another win or two under your belt. Okay. Things go well. And, thank um, you. Yeah, thanks right. for your time. Cheers, and we'll mate. Hopefully catch you again later in the yeah. season. Thank you very much. Thanks, Josh. Mate. Cheers. All right, Rich, this is some great interviews from Donington. Just quickly, folks, the TT, the Isle of Man, is running. It was happening now. I believe it's been practice week and qualifying has gone on. I can't tell you who's at the top right now. I haven't had time with work and other things to be able to look at it. But I will tell you this, Mark Miller, friend of super friend of the show, Mark Miller, uh, is a commentary voice for the Isle of Man TT pay-per-view, if you will, off their website. He is doing all the qualifying and racing as a commentator, as a color guy. So if the voice sounds familiar, that's because it's Mark. So be sure to watch the TT. And with that, remember to ride safe. Cheers, everyone.